The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Um, I'm reading Proverbs 18:24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed worked together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kobe. If you're visiting today, um, I'm, I'm... a visiting preacher today. Uh, I attend this church. My name is Richie Sessions. I work across campus with Reform University Fellowship, RUF, at Vanderbilt. I followed Stacy Croft uh, in that job, which was no easy task. But today, I have been called here to preach about connection. You're going through um, vision. Are these called vision sermons, vision series? And um, my task is to talk also about connection. I, um, I was a pastor of a church before I was a campus minister, and so we would have vision uh, series or vision sermons. And I know it's a hard task that Stacy has, because I remember getting to this topic of like community or connection or relationships and kind of feeling gross. Um, because it, it felt like I was telling people that they just have to, like, be friends. Like, just be better at being friends. Just like each other. And, and here's what would happen. Like, either people would feel guilty for not being better at connecting, or they would, like, they would feel, they would be reminded they didn't have a lot of close friends. And so I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to say, like, just like community is important, be better at it, right? <laughs> like, community is important, like, be better at being friends, be vulnerable, right? Here's what we're going to do today. You know something you do want and do need? Healing. Transformation. Recovery. Hope. You want healing, don't you? can only happen in connection. How about that? That's a little different, isn't it? Once had a counselor tell me, right, so you like do connection for that reason. I once had a counselor tell me, look at me in Memphis uh, when I lived there. He said, what if you stop seeing yourself as a bad person that's trying to become good and start seeing yourself as a wounded person that's starting to heal? That's what we are, isn't it? So much of my life, I've made healing the goal. I believed that connection 
was something that I had, if, if I had time left over, I would do connection, I would do relationships. But here's the point. Connection has to be the goal, and healing flows from that. When we begin with healing, we can miss it, and we idolize it. We become enslaved or bitter. We begin to hate community and connection because it's not giving us what we want. So two really simple points today and a so what. First, connection leads to healing. Second, connection is the goal, not healing. And then so what? So connection leads to healing. Two, connection is the goal, not healing. So what? All right, let's go. So the passage we read from Proverbs, our first point, connection leads to healing. Verse 24, 18, verse 24 of Proverbs, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Another place is um, a brother is born for adversity. That's another proverb. But a friend loves at all times. So what, what does this language mean, friends, brothers? I think what he means is a brother sort of has to be there. You know, it's blood. You sort of expect when the wheels fall off for your brothers to be there. They kind of have, they're, they're supposed to be. But a friend wants to be there. A friend wants to be there, not because they have to be, because they choose to be. You don't have very, the reality is, we don't have very many of those. Real friends, real connection. I think about a line uh, from one of my favorite songwriters, Steve Earle. Um, the world keeps turning round and round, and it leaves me hanging in the air. My heart keeps turning upside down. And you're still standing there. That's a friend. That's what this word connection, that's part of the vision statement. That's connection. Connection is I see you and I'm not leaving. Connection is you've told me the scariest things about you and I love you more. Connection is someone who looks at you and says, you have something in your teeth. Connection is someone who says, that actually looks terrible on you. Connection is your fly is open. These are the 3 a.m. flat tire, broken heart, drive you crazy people in your life. It's where you're seen and you're heard and you're loved. The reality is we are wounded in relationships and we're also healed in relationships, right? And so the Lone Ranger approach to life doesn't work. You can't experience healing apart from connection because we are created in the image of God who is connection. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God has always been a father perfectly loving his son through the Spirit. 
Even creation itself is an overflow of this connection. True connection reproduces. True connection creates and recreates. Because we're made in God's image, and God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit not only creates the cosmos, it's also the triune God who recreates us. God is not Allah, singular. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so we can only experience healing and connection. Okay, where do you see that in Scripture other than our passage? We could go so many places, but one of my favorite places is David and Jonathan. Connection comes through healing so clearly in this relationship between Jonathan and David. 1 Samuel 20, one of the scariest parts of David's life was he's being hunted by King Saul. He was sort of in and he was out. He would be at Saul's table and then Saul would be throwing a spear at him. You talk about hypervigilance. Being hunted, not knowing like if this was going to be your day to die. By the most powerful man in your country, that was, that was David. But Saul's son, Jonathan, made a covenant with David. And he said, I swear I'll keep you safe. By my very life, I'm moving out of the way. And, and by the way, the, the, the throne should have come to David. But he said, I'm moving out of the way so that the throne can come to you because I see God doing something in your life, so I make a covenant with you. And at one point, it's so intense. The fear is so great. It says, listen to this. David, this is 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. David rose and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. In other words, like, the stress and the fear and the hypervigilance is like this exhaust that they experience in this great intimate friendship that keeps us alive in the midst of our war. In the midst of our running, that's what keeps us going is this connection. It kept David alive. Weeping David. The psalms that we get and the songs we sing from David come out of the connection that David and Jonathan experienced together. Our songs come out of connection. Healing comes out of connection. We could also go to Ruth, where Naomi's entire world falls apart. She loses her, son, her sons and her husband in this foreign land. And then this foreigner, Ruth, comes to her and says, I will be with you. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die. I'm not leaving you. Ruth keeps Naomi alive because of this connection. Because God is a connection, we're a connection. It makes me think of my in-laws' best friends. My in-laws, Al and Mary Lee Steele in Jackson, Mississippi, um, lost their 25-year-old son, my brother-in-law, to a brain tumor in 2007. But their best friends, the Belknaps, were always there quietly, especially Amos Belknap. 
I remember going to the hospital and he would sort of run interference with all the friends. All these well-meaning people are just so overwhelming, but seeing Amos there, and he's a quiet guy, he never has a lot to say, but he's always there, just this, this pillar, this silent, present friend. It's like, I see what you're going through and I'm not leaving. This is what friends do. Amos helped keep them alive while their son died. And of course, Jesus Christ. How Jesus craved this connection. That's why Jesus always had one foot in a boat, you know? He did. Because he would be doing his ministry and pouring himself out, and he was like, let's get out of here now. He would. He got tired. And it would just be he, he and his friends, especially Peter, James, and John, in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was coming unglued. He said, will you wait with me? Will you, will you all sit with me, please? I need you to sit with me. They didn't even stay awake. He asked him twice, by the way. Do you ever notice that? He's like, wake up, guys. Um, this is the worst thing ever that's happening to me. He's like, but you know what? Y'all, y'all fall asleep. John Cox, who is a counselor in Jackson, Mississippi, comes and speaks to the REF campus ministers every three years or so. And he said, the preposition with is the most powerful word in Scripture. Because the word with is what leads to healing and transformation. So why connect? It's more than just a cool, glossy, bulletin thing. Connect is your life. Connect is what leads to what you really want, which is recovery and healing and life. Not healed. We'll never be healed. But it's connection is where we experience true healing. The research proves this over and over again. I, I, I can't even go into how much connection and relationships help reduce stress. One article I came across said that all these studies, they studied three, there was one study that had 300,000 people in it. There were 48 different studies and they compiled this and they said people with strong relationships have a 50% lower risk of mortality than those without strong relationships. That's larger benefit from not smoking. I think of one story that I read by a psychiatrist named Bessel van der Kolk. He wrote a book called The Body Keeps Score. He talks about how important attachment is and how vital it is for healing and transformation and how much we need it. He gives this example of a a 14-year-old kid named Jack. Jack got arrested on Christmas Eve because he had been burglarizing houses in their area in New England. And on this one moment on Christmas Eve, Jack comes from this really hard background. He says, no one ever pays attention to me. And so he, he burglarizes this house, and the alarm goes off, and the cops go, oh, it's Jack again. Right? I can't believe it's Jack. And he says, you know, this makes it all worthwhile. When they take him to prison, that's, it's the only place he can have anyone pay attention to him. Like, we'll get arrested to have people pay attention to us. That's where Brene Browns, who's so famous now, and everyone knows her work on shame and vulnerability, the cure to shame is me too. 
Shame derives its power, she says, from being unspeakable. Do you know what burdens you so much in life? Do you know what you carry around is what's unspeakable inside of you? And the ability to speak what is unspeakable can only be found in connection. Let's go to our second point. So, connection leads to healing, but healing can't be the goal. Connection has to be the goal. So, connection's the goal. What does that mean? We found that in the book of Acts. The passage that we read in Acts. So, here's what happens in the book of Acts. I, I, I think it's hilarious. So, Jesus tells his disciples, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Just don't, don't, Peter, don't do anything. You can almost hear him saying, like, don't do, don't do anything. Until the Spirit rains down upon you, the promised Holy Spirit. And so they don't do anything except pray. They all get together. Jesus' mother is there, Mary, and they all get together, this little huddled, scared mass of people. And they're praying together. And then finally, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit rains down like tongues of fire. It's what it's, this, they, he doesn't even know how to describe it. It's because it's this massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in different languages and people are hearing their own language and people think they're drunk. It's so wild. They literally say that. They go like, these guys are wasted because it's such a wild moment. The Spirit comes down and thousands of people are converted and ex- certainly you expect it to be like that for the rest of the book of Acts. Just one like, just action movie of ministry after the next. But then we come to our passage. And you know what they're doing? What does a Holy Spirit-filled church look like? This dynamic tongues of flames. They're doing church. They're going to Bible study. Do y'all notice that? They're connecting. It's not spectacular. I would have expected, and I still do sometime about the church, this sort of five-star stuff. But it's pretty Waffle House. It is. No reservations needed. Frat boys and ex-cons and soccer moms. You can all come. What are you wearing? You got shoes? Come on. It's what we call in our tradition in Presbyterianism, Reformed tradition, the ordinary means of grace. That's an old way of saying this is where the grace is. You need grace to be transformed? This is it. You know what the first one is? They're studying the Bible. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're opening the Bible and they're talking about the good news. That's what they're doing. It's not spectacular. It's what every Bible-believing or gospel-centered church does is they come together and they talk about Jesus in the Scriptures. Genesis to Revelation. They, they, they tell each other the good news. So they're, they're talking about the gospel of Jesus, the life, death, resurrection, ascension, the, the return of Jesus Christ. In large group, and in smaller groups, and in one-on-one conversations. It's Waffle House. It's like so basic. And the next word they use is they're devoted not only to the scripture's teaching, but they're devoted to the fellowship. The koinonia. 
The word means common, what they have in common. They're just hanging out with each other. They're devoted to being together. They just get together. They're, they're, and because they're getting together, they're talking about the gospel when they get together. And when they get together, other people are coming in, so they're being hospitable because they want other people to know about the good news of Jesus Christ. I think one of the reasons we don't ask people to church is like, are we embarrassed of church? What are we inviting people into? We're inviting people into communities where they can talk about the good news, period. If it's not that, then you need to figure out why you're going to church. Straight up, folks. It's inviting people to the good news. Not good advice. Inviting people to have fellowship devoted to the word, to listen and to talk about and to process and to apply the good news to their lives. Because life is so hard. <laughs> it is so overwhelming. It is so scary. And if you think it's not, you're lying or you're deluded. It is so hard to be a mom. It is so hard to be a dad. It is so hard to work. It is so hard to start out. I send my, my students to go. They graduate from Vanderbilt University. And then they go feel like a loser every day in New York. And so what I tell them to do, you better find some community where you can hear the good news. Because you're going to hear bad news every other day. And so they're devoted to the teaching. They're devoted to fellowship. That is small groups and hospitality. They're devoted to corporate worship, to the prayers, the prayers. They had formed prayers. They were, here's the point. They're hearing the good news. They're studying the good news. They're fellowshipping around the good news. They're praying the good news. They're singing the good news. They're eating and they're drinking the good news. They're having communion. They're breaking bread. That's what they're doing. And then they're just serving people. That's just the overflow. Connection leads wanting other people to be connected. And when you experience the good news at your core, when you experience the healing of shame in your life, you have to bring other people into your life. You want other people to have it. That's it. There was a pastor in Memphis. I'm sorry for so many Memphis illustrations. I'm a visitor, so I can do this. Um, there was a pastor in Memphis that described church community as the showing up place. That's what it is. He said, you just need to keep showing up to the showing up place. Isn't that great? He said it started with the showing up place. That's what the Garden of Eden was. The Garden of Eden was the first showing up place. They could show up and be naked and unashamed. They showed up. And then one day they didn't show up to the showing up place, and God said, where are you? The question he's never stopped asking any of us, where are you? Where are you? Because we're hiding. Sin made us hide. Because the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can show back up to the showing up place. So how do we grow? How do we recover? How do we mourn? How do we heal? How do we grieve? How do we laugh? Just keep showing up. So what? First, connecting is super basic. It's super basic. I had, a, I had a student use that phrase one time, and I was like, that sounds like the best band name I've ever heard, Super Basic. I called it. You can't have it. Super Basic. 
super basic. It means it's unsexy, it is mundane, and everyone can do it. There are no excuses. It reminds me of like a, a, a smartphone. Just go with me for a second. I, I googled, how does a smartphone work? Like, how do when I touch it, what's happening there? And there are two different kinds of that technology. One's called resistive, and one's called capacitive. Capacitative, I don't know. Correct me after the service. But it's what happens when your finger hits the screen. There's an electrical charge that causes a circuit and creating a voltage drop on that point in the screen, and then it does something magical. It's magic. But you know what it is for us, like for me, who literally cannot do anything technological? Nothing. It's touch screen. Think about how dumb that is. What is it? Touch, I touch screen. I touch screen. But when I touch screen, I can talk to anyone in the world. In other words, there is profound complexity to connection. There is some deep, 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 deep stuff that's happening in my relationship with my counselor and my spiritual director and my best friends and my church and my people. There is profound, eternal things happening. And all you do is touch screen. And so you know what that means for you? Go to a connect group. Well, I don't know, Richie. I don't know how I fit. Just just go to a connect group. Touch screen. Just go be there. I just don't know. I'm just, I've been really disappointed by church. I know. Church is disappointing. One of the gifts I have of being a visiting preacher is I've preached at, and this kind of sounds like a humble flex, but I don't mean it. I've I've preached at like every PCA church in this area. I know. Isn't that great? And here's what, here's what I'm, they're all amazing and all totally disappointing. Yep. If you're looking for the church where all the cool people go, it's not there. Like, we're, we're looking for this place where we're not going to be disappointed. We're looking for this place where everything's right on. And we need to repent of that. It's bad. Touch screen. Church is disappointing. And it's wonderful. It's always been disappointing. You need just to accept that reality. And the reason it's disappointing is because we're in it. We're disappointing. This is the way I like to think about it. The church, even Christianity, is a cover version of the best song ever written. Think about this for a second. Like the best song ever written is Jesus. The gospel, the good news. It's, it's the best thing ever written. It's the perfect song. Jesus is. And the church is always like a bad cover. It is. And some versions are, sound more like the real one. And there's some really bad ones. You know some really bad cover versions? And then there's some that are like, they've, it's a different song now. Right? Those are called cults. But just imagine Christianity as like a, just go to a church and go like, oh, this is, a not a, this is not a terrible cover version. They're doing the best they can. 
oh, that's a really weird thing that they do here. I don't like that at all. I love that, but I don't like this. It's kind of like being married. So the ask is this. If you're not in a connect group, get in a connect group. I, don't, what's your, I know you have excuses. I know they're legitimate excuses. Get over them. And then the second thing is, bring people to church. Why? Because we're all trying to get healed. We all want to be freed of our shame. And this is a great community. 